Hello and welcome to 7 Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, all about healing after a stroke. I'm Christine, a stroke survivor. I had a pontine hemorrhagic stroke and I understand how recovery can be a real roller coaster ride. My hope is to help other stroke survivors transform the ups, the downs, and the scary drops into something more manageable, more like the carousel. And you even get to pick your own horse. Welcome to the podcast of Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Season 1, Episode 4, Identity Theft. The information and conversations in these podcasts are general in nature and do not replace the care and instruction that you receive from your doctor or therapist. Please discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare provider. You can join the conversation through email at 7 peppers at gmail.com or you can tweet us at number 7, capital J, small a-r-s or on Facebook at 7 Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers. This week's quote of the cast. We must be willing to get rid of the life we've planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. Joseph Campbell. We all have a plan for our life. Our identity drives our actions. Like many adults, I managed a full-time career with all the other aspects of my life. Being a mother, wife, friend, volunteer, playing bass in a couple of bands. And after all that, my leisure time. For me, that was usually physical activities such as running, kayaking, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing. But after being a mother and a wife, the most defining part of my identity was my career. In my career, I found fulfillment, challenge, and a camaraderie I had never before experienced. I became part of an eclectic group of co-workers who were more like family. My stroke took me away from my work. It was akin to losing a big part of who I was. Until I was denied the ability to go to work, I didn't realize how much I let it define me. To add insult to injury, the day I found out my brain was bleeding was the same day I was offered a promotion. Now that's rotten luck. One study states that many people define themselves by their job titles. People, especially in North America, tend to measure themselves by their accomplishments. Maybe this can be traced back to our school days, where we were graded for our work, getting that external validation. While I was in the hospital, a very wise nurse came and spoke with me. She told me my stroke was comparable to a loss. She said, with any loss, you need to recognize the change and give yourself time to mourn, time to heal. Her words gave me permission to grieve the change in my life, what the stroke had taken from me. It's been a long road to acceptance, but her words still speak truth. One brain injury survivor said, there was nothing more painful than grieving for myself while still alive. Accepting the new me and accepting who I am without my work identity has not been easy. 
It's been a real discovery process, and I'm learning to like me without my work. I'm trying to find ways to help others, to get that external validation. I'm embracing the changes brought on by my stroke, and I'm being open for the life that is waiting for me, instead of focusing on the plans I can no longer possess. More importantly, I've learned I am more than my job. I'd like to introduce this week's guest. George Krunick has been married for 32 years and has five children between the ages of 31 and 16. He's an architect technologist and has his own company called GC Design. From the age of eight, George has been involved in Ukrainian dance and has danced and taught for over 45 years and he continues to be an adjudicator. As a result of an injury over three years ago, George has developed osteoarthritis in his right hip, which limits his activity and has significantly impacted his life. Welcome, and thank you for being here with us today and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so pleased to have you here. First, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, as mentioned in the in the intro, um, I am a... Uh, husband and a father of five children, um, living in Wetaskiwin. I uh, have my own business and do architectural design and drafting. Um, so that's where the stage of my life is now. Um, in the early part of my years, I was highly involved in sports, um, all types of sports. Uh, but my real passion was in Ukrainian dance and uh, started at the age of eight, as mentioned. And um, just proceeded through life, um, really working hard and um, developing a, pa- a, m- a more and more greater passion and more desire to achieve high standards in, in that uh, genre of dance. Well, I know I've watched some videos and I got to see a Shumka performance once and it's incredible, especially some of the acrobatics the male dancers perform. And you've been involved in that for 45 years? Yes. Um, so I did um, start at the age of eight and then at the age of 15, I got accepted into Shumka wow. as a full-time, full-time dancer. And then from there proceeded and was a part of Shumka for 15 years and traveled throughout the world uh, doing, you know, countless and countless um, tours and um, shows, um, very prominent shows. We did many things like uh, Canada Day on Parliament Hill, wow. did a lot of those uh, performances uh, every time the government of Canada had a special gala event with um, um, President Reagan back in the 80s Whoa. and um, all these other uh, um, high officials, they always uh, banked on Shumka coming and performing. And so I got a lot of uh, opportunities to uh, perform in those areas. That's incredible. Quite an illustrious career you've had on top of that managing being a husband, father, and having a career. So I've heard now that maybe the dancing and your life following sports has um, started to affect you in a physical way. Yes. So um, I've, I've been very fortunate when I was uh, a dancer. I was um, I had a good knowledge of how my body worked and uh, how my muscles worked. So I was able to control um, what I knew I could do and what I couldn't do. Um, many male dancers, especially through in Ukrainian dance, um, generally have, um, they have um, 
pain in their knees. I was able to not actually have any of that. Wow. And I hope I never have that, but it may be a, a thing of, of the future. However, the pounding on your body really takes a toll on it. And mm-hmm. so now, um, as of about three and a half years ago, I um, started to feel some real um, negative things in my right hip. And uh, consequently, I have osteoarthritis in it. So I've been suffering through a little bit of trauma in the last three and a half years. Yeah, well, your hip is quite an important part of movement and such. So uh, is it taking away things you can do? Um, yeah, primarily the, the greatest thing that I, I've noticed is that I cannot run. I physically can't run. I, I hobble and Mm. basically I'm, I'm running on one leg and the other leg is just, uh, is basically just hanging there. Oh my. Um, with regards to the other aspects of like, I'm very active. So I, I still, you know, do yard work and, you know, do a lot of things. Um, however, uh, I'm definitely limited in the in what I can do and how extreme I can do it, because um, I basically anytime I'm bending down, I'm I'm almost feeling pain almost the entire time. So it has uh, has has affected my general daily activities. Well, so would you say um, in theme with this week's podcast, would you say part of your identity has changed because of the deterioration of your hip? Oh, absolutely. Because you're, you know, when you're a dancer in my, in my capacity, basically when you're, you know, you're dancing with Shumka, you're like an elite dancer. Mm-hmm. So you're, you've, you've gained quite a status, no different than, uh, you know, the hockey players in NHL. So, um, when you're in there, you're, you basically psychologically, you think you're invincible. You can do anything. And so when you're going from that type of mentality into a mentality where, Oh my gosh, I don't know if, you know, you're, you're ready to do something and you're already, you're expecting the pain to happen even before it happens. It really affects you mentally and psychologically. So, yeah. I bet it's, it's very tough to deal with uh, that kind of change. So what emotions, what feelings were you experiencing when it first happened? I mean, three and a half years is a long time. Did you think it would resolve? And I guess what has been your path um, since then? Well, I, I, I would imagine the very first part was um, just uh, bewilderment because I didn't really know what was going on. Right. Um, and then it turned into frustration because um, as I started to inquire and go to doctors, it seemed like I never really could get a a positive or a, a def- mm-hmm. definitive answer. Right. I mean, they basically said that I had osteoarthritis, but mm-hmm. there was no, there was no real clear direction as to how I should do that, how I should go about uh, dealing with it. Um, and every time I asked the question, I, I didn't really get an answer. Um, I, I would have to go searching for more and more, um, more, more and more answers to um, the things that I was dealing with and, and, and it was, it became really frustrating. Um, and then after a while, I think I, I definitely hit some depression because I just, um, I was getting frustrated and I was depressed because, you know, how can I not be able to do some of this stuff? Or right. it's not necessarily that I couldn't do it. It's just that, why do I have to deal with this? And why do I have to suffer pain? And, and why, you know, I, I would look at people and see them walking and go, why are mm. they walking? Okay. And, and I'm not walking okay. 
so is and then you know i guess i'm just feeling sorry for myself as well because i could look at other people who are in wheelchairs and and think you know think differently however i was thinking about myself and uh maybe a little selfish but um so it it was frustration depression and then it was um i kind of got over that and uh, i started to uh, inquire a little more i actually became a little more forceful in my in my um talking to doctors right. and I was able to go to Glen Sather's sports clinic where, where I really started to get some definitive answers. Oh. And that was after about, you know, probably about good two and a half years. A long time. So, uh, yeah, it was a long time. And so, um, so now I guess the biggest thing is, you know, with osteoarthritis, there really is no cure, um, other than potential stem cells, but they can't mm. really definitively tell stem cells what to create. Right. So uh, inevitably, be, inevitably, I'm probably going to have to get a, a, knee, a hip replacement. Right. The problem with that is I'm pretty young. And from what I gather and what doctors are telling me, um, you know, they last about 10 years. Well, I could, oh. I could go through three by the time, you know, by the time it's right. all said and done. And they say that after the first one, the next ones don't work too too well so uh, i have to do some kind of maintenance to you know to delay as much as i i possibly can a potential sure. hip replacement so yeah it's very very unfair that's for sure but uh you sound like you've been going on a real roller coaster ride but you're just keeping on keeping on the bright side as much as you can so i mean it's been three and a half years how do you find you're doing now um well, I've, I, through my inquiries, I've actually been able to uh, find other alternatives to try and help the situation, try and do some healing. Um, there is a therapy called uh, plasma-rich uh, platelet therapy, which I have had a couple injections already. And I've actually, um, just in speaking with physiotherapists and some of the, some of the ones that are, you know, I, I think I can trust, mm -hmm. um, they primarily say you just got to keep active. Really? And so rather than sitting around, it's not helping the situation. So as of about two weeks ago, which is not <laughs> a long time, but I have, I've started biking um, and I sit in a stationary bike and I go for like 20 minutes every day. Wow. Um, and I walk. Um, mm -hmm. Walking, I find, is a little more strenuous on my, on my hip. Um, so biking, um, swimming would be good, but... Um, I haven't done that, but uh, <laughs> I I kind of enjoy biking. So, right uh, now that the weather's getting nice, I'm hoping that I can go outside. So, yeah. But. So it looks like <clears throat> you're looking for alternative ac activities that are less impact. Yes. So yeah. keeping it strong without injuring it further right. are probably your primary goals. Yes, trying to delay the process as much as possible, you know, and try and strengthen mm -hmm. the muscles around there. Um, because I mean, there's so much stuff that's going on. I've had I've had ultrasounds. I've had uh, complete ultrasounds that actually looked through all the muscle tissue around that hip area, oh, wow. and even in the glutes. And so there was a lot of things that were going on. And so mm -hmm. I've been able to focus on some of those areas and trying to um, to get strengthen them so that'll help my my hip area. And uh, you know, I still feel the pain. It's not as drastic as it used to be. Um, but it, you know, it's, it comes and goes. Um, probably the most, one of the frustrating thing is, is that it can just change in a dime. Like, oh. um, and, and there's no real explanation for it. Like I can, I can actually, 
um, I can sit and do some work and then I can get up and I, I basically, I'm walking in extreme pain and I'll walk for 30 seconds and I'll sit down in my vehicle and I'll drive somewhere and -hmm. they'll get out of my vehicle and then I feel no pain. So it's so frustrating. It, It really plays mind games with you. So. That would be the hardest part, the emotional side of it and not knowing when the pain's going to get you. Yeah. And, I, I, and you know, one of the things that uh, when I had my first PRP shot, it was it was pretty, pretty amazing because it actually, they did the shot in my muscle and actually helped. I felt a, a quite a bit of alleviation. Really? And then what I noticed in the first week was how bad I was adjusting my body to adjust for the pain that I was expecting. Oh. So what was happening is I was my body was adjusting things. Right. And when I had this PRP shot for the first week, I I would go to move and I would turn my my leg or something and I wouldn't feel any pain and I'd go, "Well, that's weird, but what's more weird is how turned my leg is." Right. So if I put it back in proper position, I didn't feel any pain, but my mind was telling me, "You're going to get pain." So you're trying, your body was trying to protect itself from that expected yeah. pain. So my brain, my brain was telling me, you're going to feel pain, right? but there was no pain. That's incredible. <laughs> so. so you've lived with the pain for so long. Wow. Yeah. So. so what are some strategies you've used to help cope with this pain and this change in your life from your hip? I think, I think the biggest thing for me, and, and this came about after I hit my you know, where I, I I was probably a little depressed and frustrated was just, um, you know, this is the way it is and that's the way it has to be. You know, it's not going to get any different. I, I've done quite a bit of research and I just have to, you know, really be proactive in, in what I want to do and what I have to do to straight, keep that the muscles in that area strengthened. If okay. I feel some pain, I feel some pain. You know, it's that's just life, right? And that could be any in any situation. So that's, it's just, um, you know, um, being, just being positive and, you know, that's the, that's, that's the situation I'm in and uh, I just have to, I have to just storm through it. Wow. That's very inspiring. You made a conscious choice that you weren't going to let this beat you down, even though you still have the trials and tribulations. Yeah, I have too much passion to do stuff outside, especially like yard work and stuff <laughs> like that. that. You know, I I, I don't want to stop it, right? And uh, and so I want to I want to maintain as much as I can because at some point I may not be able to do some of the things that um, if if I do get a hip replacement, um, I I won't be able to do stuff like skiing and stuff like that. So I'm trying to do as much as I can now, so that if I get to that point where I can't do it, or I'm not allowed to do it, then well. I've done it. So, uh, well, your tenacity is sure truly inspiring. I'm sure there's lots of our listeners and lots of people out there who are maybe experiencing some life change, whether through stroke or through injury. What words would you give to them to help them make it through days when maybe they're having a low time? I think I think to try and stay as as positive as you can. I think the important thing too is to really research what what you're dealing with, so you really clearly and under, understand it, um, right. know all the avenues around it, and uh, you know make some decisions, get second opinions, and really search, because um, 
you know, if you, if you think one person's telling you the truth, well, you gotta, you can't, you gotta talk to a bunch of people and, and get a, and formulate your own, uh, your own answers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the PRP therapy is just one little thing that sort of helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that came about just from my research. It, wow. nobody told me about it. I actually inquired about it and I actually went and said, I want this done to me. And, uh, so that was, and, and the doctors agreed that that was something that they could do. So, you know, be proactive and, uh, hang in there cause, uh, it could be worse. Yeah, you're right about that. We should always count our blessings and great advice to never get up, give up and to keep researching and be your own advocate. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your personal experience with your change in your personal identity. It was truly inspiring, and your honesty is so appreciated. Any change is challenging, especially ones that are out of our control. And then the fallout of discovering who we are when part of our identity has changed or is gone. I know what I've had to accept, and our quote today reinforces it. We can't hold on to what could have been. We can't put life on hold, waiting for what we want or expect to happen. And your words truly spoke to that as well. If we do, we might miss opportunities that are right in front of us. For me, returning to work was the end game. It meant I was back to being me. I still expect I'll return at some point, but I'm learning who I am without work. What makes me me? My work is not who I am. It's not my values, morals, beliefs, or faith. I bring that with me wherever I go. It helps me through the ups and downs of life and embraces what could be in my future. Now it's time for Speak to the Tweet. We received one tweet this week that asked, What's with the funky music and drum sounds? (laughs) Well, I've mentioned before that I play bass guitar in a band. What I haven't said is Ken is the drummer in our band. He has this really cool set of electric drums. All those sounds are from his drum kit. This week's Joke of the Week. Get ready to groan. When it comes to work, change is inevitable. Except from the vending machine. (laughs) I know, but it fit in with our work theme this week. Here's this episode's stroke link. There are actually two this week. There's so much information out there about work identity. If you wanted, you could just type in loss of work identity and you'd be amazed at how much comes up. I agree, Ken. Researching the information made me feel better to know there are so many others who are having the same struggle. 
I think everyone experiences some kind of change in their work identity. Yeah, I agree, Christine. You know, one website uh, has a very good article that I spotted. Um, It discusses feelings and strategies for coping after losing your work identity through a major trauma. It it has this address, LorraineGordon.com backslash your happiness way backslash loss of identity but don't worry about that big long thing because we're going to post this on our Facebook page oh that's great and I read through that article and I love the quote it starts with you know me in quotes this article is so positive and caring I read another article from the Huffington Post about self-identity it discusses are you your job and goes on to explore research that demonstrates we are more authentic during our leisure time. Oh, that makes sense. It sounds really interesting. That's something that touches everyone. It sure does. It's just one article, but it's well worth the read. You can find it at huffingtonpost.com backslash Joe Robinson backslash self-identity. But again, we'll post the link on our Facebook. Lots of information out there. But remember to take any information with a healthy grain of salt and talk to somebody, maybe your healthcare practitioner, before making any major life decisions. We recommend you look up these two articles on Google or just type in loss of work identity. You'll find lots of great information. Last but not least, remember FAST, F-A-S-T. If you or a loved one experience any changes in your face, arm, or speech, time to get yourself to the hospital quickly. You can call 911 in Canada for emergencies, or for inquiries, you can call HealthLink in Canada at 1-866-408-5465 and talk to a healthcare professional. Hey, so that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and leave us a comment on Podbean. If you have any questions or comments, jokes or ideas for future topics, don't hesitate to get a hold of us. Please also visit our webpage at www.7jarsofhotpickledpeppers.com. So until next time, remember, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, then it isn't the end. Goodbye and good health.